you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I trust you had a great Thanksgiving. This is a wonderful time of year to be looking back at being thankful for the things that have happened, identifying what we want to happen the next year, adjusting things in our lives that are not giving us the results that we want. Great time to be planning out what you want to have happen in 2013. Well, we're here to talk about it. I am Dan Meller, your host for 48 Days Online Radio, where we take your questions, real life questions, unpack them, figure out principles we can use to know our passion, to live life fully, laugh readily, work with joy, make a difference in the world, all those wonderful things. That's what we're going to be talking about right here. Stay with us for the next 48 minutes. We're going to be examining the value of our work. We know that work is not just an exchange of time for a paycheck, but it's our best opportunity to live out our calling and create the legacy we want to leave behind. Now, speaking of legacy, I'm going to be a little pensive today because I just found out about an hour ago as I'm recording this that our Longtime friend Zig Ziglar has died this morning. So Zig left a wonderful legacy. I want to talk about that a little bit more here. But here's some of the questions we're going to be dealing with. How do I maintain my inspiration long enough to start implementing it? Somebody says, how should I present my book on my wife's suicide? A friend used my photo as a direct reference for an oil painting. How can I get paid? Might there be value in taking a company's first offer during a job interview. Now, I usually have a quotation in here, but because of remembering Zig, I want to just share some of the Ziglarisms that I've been impacted by over the years. I mean, Zig had a tremendous impact in my life. I consider him, you know, right up there in the top three or four mentors in my life. I started reading his material, See You at the Top, years and years ago. Started going to his workshops and seminars. I've had the pleasure of meeting him and now have gotten to know his son, Tom, and his daughters. But uh, just uh, what a wonderful man. But the, the thing he was probably more famous for saying than anything else, and we'll use that as our quote for the day, is you can get everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Just an amazing principle Certainly, the golden rule, there's a lot of other principles that are kind of rolled into that. But you can get everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. That's been a foundational principle for me when I heard him say that and talk about it, his conviction that that was true. It helped me really frame what I do and how I try to do the work that we do here at 48 Days. Here's some other Ziegler quotations. You were born to win. But to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. Here's another one. Your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. Zig was great for those things that had alliteration, the things that just kind of roll off your tongue. He says, if you treat your wife like a thoroughbred, you'll never end up with a nag. Here's one. These are all from Zig Ziglar. People often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend doing it daily. Zig says a goal properly set is halfway reached. 
And if you learn from defeat, you haven't really lost. Again, my tribute to a great man, a great American, showing us integrity, character, and virtue. We'll miss Zig Ziglar. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit more today about entrepreneurial kids. And again, I can't do that without talking about the impact of Zig Ziglar on us raising our kids. He wrote about that a lot, had a real passion for that. But we used to use Ziglar quotations and Ziglar writing as the content for timeouts for our kids. So when our kids did something that displeased us, we would sit them in a corner, usually not literally, but we would set them down, and their timeout consisted of maybe listening for five minutes to Zig Ziglar talk, and then talking to us about what they heard. We could choose nearly anything. The principles Zig talked about for being excellent in selling or for running a company were principles, just solid down-home principles for creating great relationships, treating other people with respect, showing integrity and character in your own life. We would have our kids when they were six and seven years old, just little kids. That was what their timeout consisted of. And it's interesting today to hear them repeating those principles. You need to check up from the neck up. You know, quit your stinking thinking. All those things that crept into their little minds and now they're passing on to their kids. That's what we used for the timeouts that we gave our kids. Now, that's also some of the principles that we used to teach our kids to be independent, to not look to others for a handout. I mean, we used the book, See You at the Top by Zig Ziglar as a textbook for one of their homeschooling courses. So all of our kids went through that. Kevin, Ashley, and Jared, they all went through that. They're very familiar with that. Now, let me, let me move on. I want to go on and talk a little bit more about growing entrepreneurial kids. I get a lot of questions from you, all the listeners, about this. You know, concerned that we're going to raise kids that are just dependent on the government, hoping that the right political power is in, is in the White House at any given time so that things will be okay. Well, things don't really work like that. The world will be okay when we're okay, I mean, we don't need to worry so much about what's happening in the White House as what's happening in our house. I I talked recently about, uh, last week I was on Fox News, talking as a follow-up to the article that that Fox News picked up about my response to the 21-year-old who asked a question after the second political debate, where he asked the question, can you assure me, or more so my parents, that I'll be able to support myself after I graduate from college? Well, I said, you know, in as much as both political candidates gave political answers to that young man, that's not really what he needed to hear. What he needed to hear was, you know, what are you doing personally, Jeremy? What are you doing to make yourself a great candidate? Why would I want to hire you? I had somebody write in, Bob wrote in and said, could you get Jeremy on the podcast to interview with all this activity being created on several podcast episodes and on TV? Now, Jeremy has had to have heard about you at this point. See what he might have to say about your suggestions. Well, I assured Bob that we'll, we'll check into that. I hadn't really thought about that. But that'd be a cool thing to do to get that 21 year old student on for an interview and ask him, you know, do, do you, do you realize what it's going to take to assure yourself and your parents that you're going to be able to support yourself? 
I mean, this is a very much an inner game, the kind of things that you do to make yourself an attractive candidate, develop yourself, under, all the way down to understanding the, the power of remembering somebody's name. You know, how to do a good handshake, how to look somebody in the eyes when you talk to them. In the eyes, not at the mouth. Most people look at the mouth when you talk to them. You need to look in their eyes. But anyway, I'd love to talk to them. We may see if we can work that out. Here's some of the other things that we did with our children in teaching them entrepreneurial skills. Now, when they're 8, 10, 12, 14 years old, you know, they, they aren't going to go get a job anyway. Well, we wanted to be teaching them principles how to do something that had value. Now, I always had businesses, and we always had the kids involved in those businesses, so they always had a lot of opportunity to be involved, but they were never paid by the hour. I mean, I never paid my kids by the hour. So if um, my shop needed to be cleaned up and just needed to have the floors, you know, swept, cleaned up where we were doing auto accessories, a pretty routine job, I may pay a kid $5 to do that, but it had nothing to do with how much time they took. So we always taught our kids to be responsible for results you produce. Don't expect to get compensated just because you showed up. Now, when Kevin, my oldest, was 14, we sent him to a three-day training school. Actually, I think it was a week training school in Atlanta to learn how to tint windows. This was back when that was just becoming popular. I happened to have an auto accessories business at the time, so we let him handle that part of the business. We're using the umbrella and, of course, our facilities, service bays and everything. He would bring in cars, but it was totally his business. We created his own name. We had little sunshield sun visors made up that he would give out kind of like as a business card, but he would be doing Jags, Mercedes, you know, all kinds of fancy cars. A couple nights a week, he would be window tinting. And with that, he was making six, $700 a week, a couple afternoons after school, you know, when he was 14 years old. And that's what he used then to launch himself into his bike racing career. And he bought his Bicycles, his cars, everything based on his ability to earn money from his own window tinting business. When Jared came along, Jared, we were living in a subdivision when he turned 14. Might have been 13, but I think about 14 is when we usually helped our kids develop some kind of business of their own. But we were living in a subdivision that had 433 homes in it. Well, Jared, you know, gee, what can I do to earn money? Well, you can you know, throw newspapers, you know, do some kind of delivery service, mow yards. That's what every kid is doing. What can you do that uses your unique skills? What is it that you bring to the table that makes you remarkable? That's how I've always approached with my kids and certainly how I, the same questions I ask you today. What is it that makes you remarkable? If you're just doing what everybody else is doing, you're not going to be compensated very well for that. Well, with Jared, one of the things that he really did understand, he, he's good with his hands. He loves mechanical things. He was not a great bicycle racer, but he was a great bicycle mechanic. So as his older brother, Kevin, was getting really involved in bicycle racing, Jared was the one he relied on to keep his bike in good working order. So we made up one flyer. I ran across one just the other day. I was delighted to do so. It was in an old book of family photo photos, and I pulled it out. The little half-page flyer that we used one summer to promote the fact that Jared was going to do, again, a 14-years-old bicycle repair. His unique selling proposition was free pickup and delivery. Now, that's pretty unusual. If you have a bike that needs repair, I mean, no bike shop is going to come and get it. You're going to have to put it in the car, hope you don't scratch the paint, 
you know, you have to tie the trunk down, you know, without having it bang on the bike, take it to the bike shop, and then once ready, repeat the power process. So it's a big advantage for people to know they have free pickup and delivery. And along with that, Jared had on his flyer this week's special, $5 flat repair. Well, we put those out one time, and it kept him busy the entire summer. Now, the, the special was continued on and on. It didn't really matter because here's the deal. If a bicycle has a flat tire, so it's 5 bucks to repair that. That's a pretty reasonable thing, especially when you do free pickup and delivery. And Jared at 14 could walk anywhere in the subdivision of 433 homes. I didn't haul him around. He could walk anywhere and walk the bike back to our house and repair it. But guess what is true of a bicycle that needs a flat repair about 90% of the time? It needs other things. So he would offer a spring tune-up where he would, you know, oil the chain and tighten everything and lube the, the cables and all of that. And it was like $39 or something. Well, you know, most everybody would say, well, sure, go ahead and do that. He would recognize that some bikes needed other kinds of repair as well. And he very quickly moved into a position, you know, where he was making two, 300 bucks a week just kind of working at his own leisure, but had his own bicycle repair business. Now, when Ashley got to that point, our only daughter, we discovered one of her unique talents was being able to cook and bake. Well, she baked apple pies that she learned how to bake from my mother, her grandmother, who was raised Amish, of course, and so she taught Ashley how to bake these amazing Amish apple pies. Well, they became the talk of the school. Ashley went to Christ Presbyterian Academy here in, in Nashville, and those pies became the talk of the school. She would take those. I mean, I, I know one time she had one in an auction. It was a fundraiser for the school, and somebody could purchase getting, I think it was one a month for a year, one of those pies. Well, it brought like $800. I remember who purchased it, but it, it brought a whole lot of money for that family to be able to get one of her apple pies a month. And she went on then and she sold those pies, $25 a piece, and she made a lot of money doing that. Those are some of the things that we did to create entrepreneurial skills in our kids. Now, that was not to mean that they would never be a candidate for a job anywhere. We never taught them that having a job was evil. It was just, you need to know your options. And if you have personal skills, it'll make you a better candidate to get any kind of position that you want to get. Now, we also took them to seminars. I mean, I think that... Kevin, I think he was 10 years old when I took him to the first Zig Ziglar seminar. And Zig, in his quintessential way, you know, came over on the edge of the stage, knelt down on one knee, took Kevin's hand, and he says, son, you know, if you want to accomplish great things, you got to set big goals. And gave him one of his leather-bound goal-setting process books and signed it for Kevin. I mean, that's a prized possession in our house to this day. And I think Kevin was about 10 years old when that occurred. But those are some of the things that we did to build in our kids those entrepreneurial skills, for sure. Well, we also, I like to share things, the success stories from people. We've got one here from Elmer, who left an audio message. Let's listen to what Elmer has to say. Hello, Dan. Your daughter Ashley thought this would be a great idea for me to share this with you. So um, I've been a 48 Days fan for over three years now. I've read 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Mondays, and I've just finished 1 plus 1 equals 3, creating your own mastermind groups. Now I'm working the job I truly love. I'm starting my own business, and I'm starting my own mastermind group this week. With your materials and ideas, 
did has changed my life and me. Some people would say that my previous career would be a success. I mean, I was a microbiologist. In fact, my job title was Microbiology Record Review Specialist. Like say, now is that for a grandiose t job, t job title? I was paid well, but I hated every moment of it. I read your book, 48 Days, and now my life has changed drastically. I looked inward, looking at my values, dreams, and passions, personality, traits, and skills and abilities, and I made a giant leap forward and move on to a career of law enforcement. I love every minute of this career, and the hours allow me to pursue my entrepreneurial endeavors. It's absolutely amazing. My wife, Cynthia, went through a similar transformation. You know, see, my wife is a nurse, and she's a great nurse, and as a result, she was promoted into management. She was in charge of 75 nurses and front desk staff at one point. I mean, the only two people over her was the CEO and then the medical, uh, medical director. But she hated every minute of it. You know, she'd be a success for most people, but she hated every minute of it. She'd come home feeling down because she did not feel confident enough to do her job, even though she had created great changes in, in the um, company. She saw, she saw the change in me and decided to do a 48-day makeover of her own. She decided to quit her job and work for a local clinic as a pediatrics nurse. She loves the hours, she loves the people she works with now, and she loves her job. When we both come home from work, we share stories of what happened during the day, and Dan, we laugh all the time. I love hearing your stories when dealing with kids at work, and she loves hearing my cop stories. We now have a new aura when we come home now. It's called Awesome Aura. I also want to share this quick thing that happened over your Coaching with Excellence program last January. I learned so much from you and your team. You were all so sweet for even having a birthday celebration for my wife as well. We love how you added that personal touch to the seminar. During that time, I had time to speak with your wife, Joanne. I was sharing my concern about being too entrepreneurial for my wife to handle. She said something to me which kept me going this entire year. She said, that's who you are, Elmer. This drive you have is one of the reasons why your wife loves you. My wife, Cynthia, looked at me and did this, I told you so face. Um, a look on her face, and but what Joanne said really spoke to my heart. Cynthia and I enjoyed our time with your team. Our lives are forever changed because of the books and the Coaching with Excellence event. I believe you have one coming up in January 17th through the 18th, and another one on May 30th and 31st. I'm hoping to make the May Coaching with Excellence event and meet with a few of your aspiring for it day coaches. Again, Dan, Joanne, Nathan, and Ashley. Thank you so much for what we've done for my beautiful wife, Cynthia, and me. Our lives are changed, forever changed, because of 48 Days. Well, Elmer, thank you so much for your audio message there. Obviously, that's encouraging, affirming in so many ways. We love the time when we connect with people personally like that. And like we were talking about Zig earlier, you know, he wasn't just sharing techniques. And I trust that we don't do that as well, where it's not just a matter of of knowledge, but it goes beyond that. You know, in the recent book that my son Jared and I wrote, Wisdom Meets Passion, we talk so much about wisdom is not just head knowledge. It's more than that. I mean, we can get a lot of knowledge in our head, education, degrees, and all that. But wisdom means the is the meaningful application of that knowledge so that it really does make a difference in people's lives. Well, Zig was a great one to do that. I trust that I'm carrying on his legacy. I mean, he wrote... He wrote an endorsement calendar for a couple, a couple of my books, and I appreciate that so much. And there would be a whole lot of us that, that carry on his legacy. You know, 
Joanna and I were talking about this just recently. We were actually going through and making plans for her mother's funeral. Now, her mother's still alive, but is in very poor health, and we know that uh, one of these days we'll be confronted with that. So rather than waiting for the time itself, we've gone ahead and made the plans, as we have done for ourselves to make it easier for our kids, which I would encourage you to do if you're 30 years old. I mean, it does, this is not something that you do when you're 80. It's something that you do at any given point to make it easy for those left behind to uh, know what to do when, you, when you're gone. How do you want to be remembered? You know, one of the things that I want to that I want to do when when there's if there's a memorial service for me one of these days, whatever it is, I hope that it's a, a happy time. We've talked a lot with our kids about that, how Joanna and I want to uh, have our final remembrances. But one of the things that I'm going to have at my funeral is this right here. This this happens to be the ringtone, the chorus from this song is a ringtone on my phone but you'll recognize it from my all-time favorite band here we go the heart is a bloom shoots up through the stony ground there's no room To win in this town, you're out of luck. And the reason that you had to care, the traffic is stuck. And you're not moving anywhere. You thought you found a friend to take you out of this place. Someone you could lend a hand in return for grace. It's a beautiful day Well, yep, if you, if you call my cell phone, that's what rings on my cell phone. So no matter what I'm doing, any time of the day, my phone rings, it's a beautiful day. Anyway, yep, that's one of the songs that's going to be played at my memorial whenever that happens, whether it's tomorrow or 40 years from now. It's been fun to plan out to think about what that's going to be. Well, I say that, you know, it sounds morbid to say that, but, you know, we have to recognize uh, we aren't here forever. I mean, we really aren't. We have to realize that uh, this is part of the long-term process here, and we want to make sure that we are remembered well, that you leave a legacy. I know that you're doing that. It's one of the principles we talk about a lot. Well, let's go back to some questions John from Ashland, Virginia says, Dan, thanks so much for your inspiration. I often listen to you in my morning runs and will feel greatly inspired to implement needed changes in my career and life. However, by the time I'm finished running, showered, and returned to my office, my inspiration is wavering. And I'm back to the rut and grind, thinking instead of everything that can go wrong. Any advice about how to maintain the inspiration, at least long enough to start implementing it, and hopefully seeing a few results to inspire me further. Thanks again, John. Well, John, 
you know, I don't go out and run. I, I run on my treadmill. So I'm right there. But on the treadmill, I have a pad, a paper, and pen. So that anytime I get an inspiring thought because of what I'm listening to, and I use that time to listen to podcasts. I mean, always. That's what I do. I don't watch the news. I got a TV there, but I listen to podcasts and get inspired and make lots of notes. So by the time I'm finished, I have a page of notes. And I do that so I don't lose those moments of inspiration. But then I've got things on a list. I mean, just this morning's the list. I mean, I wanted to contact a radio syndication guy where I'm going to be doing little one-minute inspirational spots, and we're going to syndicate that on radio stations around the country. Well, we've got it all worked out, but I wanted to ask him a couple final questions before I sign a contract. I've already heard back from him. Boom, I did that. I wanted to talk to the, the gang, the leadership team over at Scarlet Leadership Institute. They bring in young, high potential emerging leaders. And I sent them a note early this morning. I said, I want to do more with you guys in 2013. Here's some ways I think we can work together where I can promote the kind of workshops that you do. And I want to be involved in the coaching that you offer to these high, high potential emerging leaders. Well, they shot me a note right back. They said, how soon can we get together? We want to talk. We want to lay some things out. But anyway, those are the kind of things that I lay out. I mean, I had made some notes about entrepreneurial children in my, when I was on the treadmill this morning. And you've already heard those kind of things. I wanted to schedule a time to interview a lady who's doing a, just an amazing business startup. It's, it's, I'm not even sure if it's a nonprofit. It's certainly a humanitarian thing, but I'm not, I want to ask her how she structured it. But those are the kind of things I make notes on, but then I immediately implement those. I mean, that's really how I start my day is being on the treadmill. I get those, get that inspiration from things that I'm listening to. But those are things that are at the top of my list. Those aren't just things that someday so I would encourage you, John, make some notes on how you'll implement those things you're hearing immediately. I mean, it's hard to go for an hour run and just, gal, you had a, an idea that came at minute three into your run and now another 57 minutes have passed and you forgot what that was. You got to have some way to capture those little things that are inspiring to you. Now, when you do something then and get a little bit of results, that will inspire you to do more. I mean, there's nothing like a little bit of success to keep you going. So, you know, when you started running, you didn't, didn't go out and, you know, run 10 miles. You might have run a half a mile. And that inspired you. It let you know, you know, made you feel great. And you thought, ooh, I can do more. I can do, I can go farther than that. And now I have no idea what you're running, but I'm sure it's, you know, up more than it was a year ago. That's the same thing you do with getting results in your life. So you implement those little things that inspires you to implement things in other areas of your life. So take notes, do something immediately, and that'll prompt you to move on and do more. I don't know from Des Koz, interesting name, D-E-Z-K-O-K, Des Koch from Australia. Says, Dan, thanks so much for the work that you're doing, the difference you're making. I'd really appreciate your direction. After my wife died of suicide with clinical depression, I felt led to write as part of my healing. This ended up as a book which details the emotions that we experienced in surviving the tragedy. It may give hope to people in similar situations, or it may be able to reach people in depression, seeing the devastation left behind. I'm really not sure where to take it. 
I've had a look at self-publishing with Amazon, but I'm not sure if I want to charge for the book, and I really need direction and guidance in polishing it. I've also changed the names of some people don't want to be identified. Would this matter? Your thoughts would be greatly appreciated. And then a rough draft. And I did look at the manuscript. Very well done. I mean, it's certainly compelling. It's engaging as you share the heartache that you went through. You've done a nice job of providing. When, when I work with, the, with a publishing company on a book, we're always looking for a combination of descriptive and prescriptive. A lot of people that write about their personal stories like this, it's just descriptive. They just tell their story. And it really doesn't have much value except for friends and family, people who know you. But if you pull in, because you have to realize that the reader, even though they're reading your story and it is very compelling, still at some level they're saying, okay, what's in it for me? How should this make a difference in my life? What should I do? And you've done a nice job of laying out resources and things that, uh, you know, ways that you, your family connected with others, that those other people helped you. There's a lot of things in there that people can really implement if they have experienced suicide or know somebody who has. Now, what I would recommend that you do, John, I mean, Des, is to, I know that you just recently, I checked it just recently, you joined our 48days.net community. Congratulations on that. That, That's a great move and a wonderful move in light of what you're asking here, because the best advice I can give you is to join two groups immediately. That's Kent Julian's Write It Forward group and Tony DiLorenzo's Do It Yourself publishing group. Those two groups have the answers that you want for how to proceed with this. You can put it, ask them the question that you ask me here. They'll give you their input their own experiences. You can connect with editors that can help you polish that. We've got some really talented people in the 48 days community like Aaron Casey and Sheila Moss and others who are editors. They can take that and really bring it to life, help you shape the content. So it flows well, help you lay it out so that it's visually appealing. I mean, those are the kind of things you need to do. Now, in terms of whether you charge or it or not, I mean, that's really a different issue. I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. That's not a significant issue. You can put it out as a free ebook if you just want to share the message, or if you want to charge a little bit for it, you can do that. Or if you want to have it be a fully published, produced book that's hardcover with nice, you know, color graphic on the front cover, I mean, you can do that. There's no right or wrong, good or bad about any of that. You just have to decide, you know, what what's your goal here? If you don't need to make money in this and you just want to share your heart on this i mean that certainly opens itself up to a lot of ways to share the information i had a niece who committed suicide a few years ago and it really opened us up to the connection of others who have experienced that same tragedy and loss and you can certainly do that you know find groups online and otherwise even in your community who have experienced the loss of somebody a family member who committed suicide it is a unique kind of tragedy i think when you go through that there's a lot of theological things that kind of raise their heads. What happens is, is that is that murder? You deal with a lot of that in your book, and I commend you on that. But connect with other people. Ask them how, you, how they think you ought to share this information, and then just go with it. Just make a decision on it. it it's not like you're going to do something, make a wrong decision on how to share the information. Just do something. If you change your mind six months from then, you can tweak it. If you get a lot of response from people, you may decide that you want to you know, speak on it. 
and that you really do want to have a book available that's not just in an electronic format. Those are all decisions you can make as you go along, not things that have to be done in advance. And as in so many things, the best thing is just just get in the game. Just do something. I spoke with a, a gentleman this week who has been working on a book for seven years. And I said, you know, what's up with that? You know, why haven't you published it? They're like, well, I just heard about this other book that just came out, and I think I ought to read that book before I publish my own. I said, don't do that. Just stop. Just publish what you've got. You don't want the book to be everything you know about this topic. I mean, it shouldn't be. I mean, you don't want it to be an encyclopedia. You want it to be something just whets people's appetite so that it gives you another reason to come back with more information later. So just go ahead and get it out there. That's the best advice if you've been thinking about writing a book. Well, Aaron from uh, Montana says, Dan, I want your advice on a marketing consulting business. I want to help small businesses specifically grow their marketing and business. The business would be to take over and then train the business how to do marketing and business development on a budget. What are your thoughts? I think you've got a really tough market for what you're describing. I I think it's a really tough market for several reasons. Small businesses just don't have the budget to pay for this kind of consulting, even though we know they need it. I mean, this is kind of a catch-22. It's obvious they need it. They're doing some things very poorly, but they just don't have the money to pay for it. So I think it's tough to do that. Now, another thing that I, I, I kind of recoiled in the way that you worded this the business, your business would be to take over and then train the business how to do marketing business development on a budget. Nobody is going to want you to come in and take over. I mean, you've got to really be gentle about how you frame this or people will slam doors in your face. Nobody wants to be told they're doing it wrong. I mean, don't go in with that kind of idea. You have to go in with, you know, have you ever thought about trying this? You know, here's some ideas that worked over here at another similar business. You know, is that something that you would like to consider here? You have to really reel people in gently, giving them lots of affirmation for what they're already doing. You know, this is like disciplining a child. You know, you compliment them on something and then you discipline them like you would an employee. But when you go out as a consultant, you can't go out and say, geez, you're really stupid. You're doing everything wrong. I mean, you'll never get a customer. So you have to really be careful about that. But I, I would also... Make sure that you're fishing in the right pond. When I was doing leadership development seminars several years ago, I could have easily targeted small businesses. I know they need it, but I didn't do that. I went after major corporations like Deutsche Bank, General Electric, and Tennessee Department of Corrections because they have a lot easier time writing the big checks. And ultimately, I wanted to get paid for doing seminars. I didn't want to go out and just have this burden to force my information on the people who needed it most. And you got to be careful about that. Now, a lot of people want to sell to small businesses because they think it's going to be easier than knocking on the doors of big businesses. Well, it may be easier and quicker to get in, to get an appointment, to do a presentation, but it's probably going to be tougher to actually get paid. So when you're talking about, I mean, a lot of people have done that with social media and web development. Oh, I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to target small business. I'm going to charge $1,000 a piece and I can do 20 of these a month and I'll make $20,000. Well, six months go by and they never get a customer because they're proposing something that's $1,000, a big expense to a small company. Yes, they need it. Or somebody just starting off or an author who just has a book idea and they aren't going to spend that kind of money. 
you're just targeting the wrong clientele if you really expect to get paid. So part of this is putting together your own business plan and marketing plan in a way that makes sense. Are you really targeting customers that you're going to connect with? Got a note here. This is just a, this is from Ken and it was, it's, he went on with a letter and I'm not going to read the whole letter, but there was one phrase out of here that I just had to share because this is so classic the way he frames this. He says, I'm 30 or I'm 52 years old, retired military and a federal employee. Now listen to this. I earn $82,000 a year in my current position and another 24,000 from my military retirement. I'm comfortably lazy, securely boring and absolutely miserable. (laughs) Boy, if that's not a classic way to describe a position, I'm comfortably lazy, securely boring and absolutely miserable. Well, I have communicated back Again, we're uh, talking about some things that he could possibly do to break the cycle, but that's an interesting position to be in. So he makes 82000 a year in his current position, another twenty four from his military retirement. So he's making, what, $106,000 a year, and he's lazy, bored, and miserable. Well, you need to break the cycle there. There are things to do that will take you out of being lazy, bored, and miserable. Well, here's a question that came in, and Ashley, my daughter, answered this. It came in through customer service, not to me directly. She already answered it, but she did such a stellar job, and it addresses such a common issue that I wanted to share it with you as well. And uh, Jeremy says, I took a photo a while back. A friend used my photo. Actually, this came in on Facebook. That's why I didn't see it, but it came in on Facebook. I took a photo a while back. A friend used my photo as a direct reference for an oil painting. Now he's selling his painting in a gallery. Should I approach him about this and ask for a percentage of his selling price? How should I approach him about this? All right, now get the picture. This guy, Jeremy, took a picture. So he had a picture somewhere. I mean, who knows? It could be on Facebook or it could be on his wall or as a screensaver. He took a picture and somebody used that as a reference and then did an oil painting. Does he now have rights to share in the profits of that painting? This is a really tricky area, but Ashley handled it so well. And how she responded, I just thought it was classic. And I want to read it. She says, Jeremy, I think you need to weigh what is more important here, your friendship or piece of the pie. I would recommend you let this one go and be honored that your friend liked the picture so much that he painted it. I'm a big fan of giving and believe in the, in the law of the harvest. A way to make this a win-win is to go to your friend and suggest doing more of these together where you photograph the art and he then creates that into a painting with you getting a small percentage of the profit. This would be a way to lay out a precedent for the future that could be very profitable for both of you without sacrificing your friendship or making it awkward in this situation. Ultimately, there are copyright laws for art if it's replicated exactly, but it's a fine line as translating a photograph to a painting leaves a lot of room for artistic interpretation. Hope you're enjoying this holiday week of Thanksgiving and keeping it in mind throughout the season. Ashley Logsdon. Well, Ashley did a beautiful job of responding to that. And I would certainly commend her and and just add my yes to everything that she said. 
I think there's more to be lost than gained by going to a friend and saying, oh, I see you used a photograph that I took as the inspiration for a painting, and now I want a percentage of what you get for the painting when you sell it. I don't think that's a reasonable approach at all. I think you ought to be complimented that somebody thought your work was inspirational and captured something in a wonderful way and that they used it. I'd be first in line to buy the painting, frankly. Well, Bob from Los Angeles. Oh, oh Bob was the one to ask if I could get Jeremy on the podcast. I'll, I'll go back to that and see if we can't connect with who that young guy was that asked the question that that presidential debate, you know, it'd be great to get him on here and ask him if he's, if he thinks now that the election is over, if his future is secured. Well, obviously I don't think it has anything to do with Jeremy's future. And I'd love to talk to him about that. Now here, Massimo from Chicago asked, Dan, might there be value in taking a company's first offer during a job interview? Wouldn't it show that you are a company person not looking to score the maximum amount of money, especially if you do not need that high of an income? Then in the future, if you're working for less than what your coworkers are, if the company needs to cut back with you making less, you might be in a stronger position to keep your job. Doing the same quality of work, of course. Interesting question. I mean, this comes across as very caring and humanitarian that you aren't going to just squeeze the company for all you can get and then you're going to be it's easier to keep you when times get tough than if they're paying somebody a little bit more but the question really here is should you agree to be undercompensated now when i talk about negotiating salary and compensation it's not to trick the company or trap them in paying you more than you're worth it's to find that sweet spot where you're compensated fairly based on what they would have to pay someone else to do the same work and where your company or your work helps the company make money. The, the whole positioning thing that you're talking about here portrays an attitude that I personally don't find very appealing. Somebody that would be agreeable to working for really less than what I could afford to pay them in the hope that I'm just going to let them hang around when times get tough, I, it, it just conveys the idea of a person who's not a go-getter. And I, I want people who are go-getters on my team. I don't mind if somebody comes and says, you know, wow, I, I'm doing this great work. You know, this is what we agreed on, I know, but now I've been here a year, I'm turning out this really great work. You know, don't you think this brings more value to the table than what you're paying me? I mean, I'm open to having that conversation with anybody who's doing work for our company. But it, but it, it there's there's uh, inconsistency here that disturbs me a little bit, and I would rather have somebody who is looking after their own best interest. I don't want somebody who realizes they're being underpaid. I think it breeds has the seeds of resentment there potentially. I don't want that to be the case. I talked to a gentleman yesterday who is in by virtue of his position he's raising money from high achievers now he's doing this for a nonprofit organization that he believes in but he's employed there full time he's making a very meager meager salary in doing the work that he's doing but his job is to go out and connect with high achievers and get them to give money to this organization i said how does this inconsistency work you aren't making peanuts you can't keep the lights on in your own house 
But you have to go out and connect with, hang around and have lunch with people who are high achievers and then have their the great results of what they're doing be the basis of funding. So you ask them for money to give you money so you can eke out a living. Which I said, how do you do that? Wouldn't you be better off being in a more position of strength yourself? Wouldn't you be better off asking for money if your own cup were full, so to speak? And I really believe that. And I think this gentleman that I'm referring to is in a really weak position. But no, I, I don't think it's a really ad, advantageous position or a commendable position to take to be underpaid at a company and it, just hoping that they'll appreciate that you're doing them a favor. I think it puts you in a weak position. Well, let me grab one more. Joel from Baton Rouge says, Dan, I'm a musician and music educator. I doubled my income last year through hard work and grit. However, I'm having trouble transitioning to a full-time music career working several jobs, not always knowing where my next paycheck will come from and feeling trapped without a clear marketing objective is stressful. How can I throw large pieces of wood under a fire that is fueled with twigs that quickly ascend and fizzle out? Great visual image you created there, Joel. Well, you do need a clear marketing objective. You know, when you say you feel trapped without a clear marketing objective and you're trying to transition to a full-time music career, I mean, that's part of your problem. You have got to have a clear marketing objective. I mean, too many artists, musicians, and artists and other creatives simply hope things will work out. They're just going to do what they do and hope things work out. No, you have to be strategic and intentional. You have to say, I will have 10 guitar students by February 1st, 2013, or I will book three engagements a month, paying me $1,000 each. To do that, I will contact 40 targeted clients each month with a mailed flyer and then a follow-up phone call. You have to be that strategic, that intentional about what needs to happen in your career as a musician for you to be full-time and to live well. That's what I would recommend. Well, keep in mind, we've got the upcoming conferences here. We've got the Innovate Conference, which certainly addresses the needs of you who are artists, musicians, creatives. We're going to have a blast at that. My buddy Mike Hyatt is going to be speaking here. Chad Jeffers, a musician or a guitarist with Carrie Underwood. We hear Dorsey McHugh, the artist who teaches art here at the Sanctuary a couple times a week. We'll be here, internationally recognized artist. My wife, Joanne, will be sharing on unlocking her own creativity sharing some stories about that we're going to have a blast but anyway check out the upcoming events here innovate i think the, the first one there is april and we got a bunch of people already registered we'll close it off 48 people so if you'd like to be in that group we'd love to see you here and then of course coaching with excellence you heard even the audio testimonial today talk about that We've got the first one in January. This is really a training program. If you want to position yourself as a coach, if you want to experience the results that I've been blessed with over the years as a coach, I mean, I did a little thing just right here at Christmas time where I said in a 30-day period, I'm going to open myself up to working with 13 people as we go into the year 2013, just two short sessions with each person individually at a fee of $2,013 and you know, just offered that to our community and within, within well, less than four, 24 hours, I thought it'd be 48, but it was actually less than 24 hours. Those 13 positions were taken, but I'm having a delight working with those people. I've connected with some amazing people in that process, but also you can see how you can position yourself. You be very clear what's going to be offered. How's it going to be done? What's it cost? Even choosing an odd figure like $2,013, boom, people just raised their hands and said, pick me, pick me. If you want to do that as a coach, 
Join us at the Coaching with Excellence conference. We'll have a blast. They're teaching you how to do the same thing. Well, this is the time of year have yourself where a merry we're thinking about the end Christmas. of the year. And along with that, we're now finished with Thanksgiving. Let your heart we know what's coming next. We'll get old Frank Sinatra in here to uh, old Blue Eyes to share a little bit with us as we end this session today. 48 Days Online Radio. Hey, thanks for being part of this growing community. We're just right at the 12,000 member mark now at 48days.net. If you're not yet a member there, if you land on 12,000, we'll probably do something special for the person that lands there. That'll, that's probably going to happen in the next couple of days. But delighted to have you be part of this growing community where we together are finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. I hope you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving time as we go into the Christmas time and the anticipation of a spectacular new year. Happy golden days of yours. Faithful friends who are dear to